0: Welcome. This is uh, another tribute episode, Dr. James Beckett Sports Card Insights, tribute to my uh, departed, uh, not recently departed, but departed uh, almost 20 years ago, uh, friend George Lyons. So first thanks sponsors, Beckett Media, Beckett Grading, Beckett Authentication, ComC.com, Burbank Sports Cards, Mike Stadium Sports Cards, Heritage Auctions, Huggins & Scott Auctions, Tops, Panini, and Upper Deck. Uh, George Lyons, kind of an amazing guy. You, you He's been gone since, uh, well, he died, uh, November 11th, 11, 11 of 01 at the age of 64. So that he was, uh, 12 years older than me. He was a friend. He was very smart, very opinionated. I don't know that I'd call him a big brother necessarily, but it, we weren't, we, we were, um, you know, when I knew him, I was kind of, when I first knew him, I was kind of in my twenties and he was in his late thirties, I guess. And so we were, we were, um, you know, we just, we had, uh, you know, some things not in common, but many things in common. Um, the last, uh, years of his life, last decade or so, I think he was in bad health. So I didn't, I didn't really, actually, I really hadn't, hadn't seen, I'm my heavy years with him were the seventies and eighties. So that goes way back. He was mainly a guy that used the phone, uh, back before it's pre-internet, pre-email. Um, he just, he just would be on the phone and he kept in touch. And I'm, I'm thinking we talked weekly on the phone many of those years. It was always interesting. He he was one of the guys that kind of had the pulse because he was on the phone all day with somebody. And so when he talked to me, he'd uh, update me or get me up to speed on what was going on. And uh, he, that just was his personality. And now I realize that whenever we talked on the phone, he he would just talk until he got another call. So, I mean, it was never... We were never on the phone forever, but, you know, it'd be five or 10 minutes and then got to go because his secretary had passed him a note that somebody else was trying to get it. And he was one of those guys that, um, again, if you don't know what a Watts line is, he, it, Watts line is when you have free, free long distance. Some of the corporate uh, corporations would have this and he was a stockbroker. So he could do that. So people would call him and say, hey, call me because I, I want to talk. And so instead of them calling and paying long distance, uh, he would call them and it would be free. So uh where did he get this uh, opinionated personality that was uh, delightful to his friends <laughs> his father was was Leonard Lyons who was the Lion's Roar uh Broadway critic um and George used that Lion's Roar in his uh, writings for uh, uh SED and Trader Speaks and and his brother Jeffrey Jeffrey Lyons if you've heard of Jeffrey he was you know more more of a media critic than a Broadway critic but a um, nice guy knew him too he 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 uh, the family loved baseball but but George especially so um and George could turn a phrase, he could tell a story, he just could go on and on about baseball. and A lot of history and uh, a, lot of, a lot of great stories when so we talked on the phone. But very interested in collectibles, too. Uh, he had, he actually had, in a way, was weaponizing his watts, his free long-distance phone calls. He had instant opportunity to make deals. And um, again, he was one of these, my word is my bond guys. So if he said, hey, I'm going to do this, I'm going to send this to you. If you send me this, I'll send you that. Uh, you didn't have to. Have to worry about that. So he was keeping up with all the movers and shakers in the industry. He was right in the center of it. And um, again, probably initially more of a baseball fan and historian first, but uh, over time, he he just really was he, he he loved collecting and the connection with the with the sports. So uh, he was uh, in his in his dealings. The fact that he'd been with it's now defunct, but a very well respected uh, Lehman Brothers firm up until it wasn't. Uh, he was a he was a stockbroker. A trader, but he, so he, he looked at cards and memorabilia in that same way. Of lots, he would occasionally take on uh, larger uh, groups of things. People would call him, and he'd have a way to to disperse them over the phone uh, in a day. And and that was in the day when you really you really couldn't do that. And I, as I've said, I went to New York for the big card shows uh, back in the uh, mainly the seventies, I guess a little bit in the eighties, but mainly mainly in the seventies. And one of the times when I was in New York for a card show. He invited me, and I went to his son's bar mitzvah, which was a, a pretty amazing cultural experience uh, for me. I'll never forget it. And he was just, again, a very warm host. And again, we have we have different, uh, you know, like I did the episode a while back on cultural lit- literacy. I mean, it's nice to know about uh, uh, people that have different traditions than you, and uh, and to share and uh, and break bread with them. So that was uh, nice. I'm still sorry I missed his funeral. Uh again, a very traditional uh Jewish funeral, which means I think it means he died on Sunday. I, I guess I found out about it Monday, but the funeral's on Tuesday and it's in in White Plains, New York. So I still I wish I'd gone. Um, I don't know what my excuse was. I know I was busy in those days, but you know, I just I don't I don't like to miss funerals anymore. I mean it was two months after nine eleven, so maybe that was part of it, and I know I had things going, but it's just it's just it's just rushed into it to where, where I didn't make it, so I don't know that I let his family down. And I'm not going to beat myself up too much, other than he was a dear friend, and uh, and I want to be at the funerals of my dear friends. So uh, I learned three things from George. I'll, I I do want to give you something that uh, relates back to uh, again sports card insights. Again, a very very sharp guy. Uh, first thing I learned is that he encouraged. He said, you know, sometimes you need to say yes to a mediocre deal in order to keep the the channel uh, warm. He said if you're all if if you're only looking for the perfect deal, people are going to quit calling. And he meant himself, you know, so if he would say, hey, I've got such and such, I think he'd be interested in that. If I said, no, nah, I don't think so, uh, you know, you get a few no's and he's just going to call somebody else. So the people that have been, especially in those days when every deal probably was a good deal in hindsight, uh, saying yes to what appeared to be a, still a good deal, but not a great deal, uh, kept kept that going. He, he really epitomized that. So uh learned that from him. Number two. Uh wow. With George, um, he found a way, you know, he could figure, he would figure out what each person that was in his orbit, you know, I don't know that he had a hundred guys or 50 guys that he'd talk to every week, uh, but the, the, the key people in the industry, and he'd find out what you were really interested in, what you really wanted. And he, he really, again, the second insight is that sometimes the right trade material can be better than cash. So he would find out, once he found out that I was a vertical many guy, uh, I won't say I was in trouble, but I mean, he had me nailed. And so if he, if he found out, he'd always want to try to see what, what does somebody have? What are they looking for? What are they, you know, he'd just try to develop a kind of a want list on the fly, uh, over the phone. You know, what are you looking for? What do you have extra? And once he found out that, uh, that Roberto Clemente was my guy, uh, if, if, if I had something extra that I was trying to sell that was a nice item, he would, he would, uh, he would go find something Roberto Clemente that I would, that I would trade for it. And lastly, uh, what I learned from George is that he kind of knew his niche. He had a certain style, and he was pretty ruthless about staying in his lane. Uh, when he knew something, he really knew it, and he had an edge, but he didn't go into areas where he was at a disadvantage. He stayed in his lane. He knew his niche. So the best example of that is, I may have mentioned this a little bit, but I'll mention it in more detail today, with the very notorious Boston buying trip back in uh, 1978, which included me, Included George and uh, 10 other very well known dealers. We were set up at six different hotels, you know, kind of geographically spread across the Boston area. And at that time, there'd never been a major card show in the Boston area until that time. So, um, well, we weren't a show. We were, we, we took out uh, newspaper ads, display ads in the, in the, uh, I think there were, there was still a morning paper and an afternoon paper. So we had a, like a quarter page ad, which was, uh, seemed expensive at the time. Now I don't think it was, saying that we were going to be at these six hotels conveniently located all across the, the uh, Boston area and buying old cards. And I don't know. This was 78. So I don't really remember that we put a cutoff on it, but we certainly worked looking for cards in the seventies and probably not even in the sixties, which <laughs> that was a mistake looking back now. So here's the deal. And, uh, I think, uh, Al Muir got into this with me a little bit, uh, a while back. But I think each guy put in about $2,000 for the newspaper ads and uh, and, and to put together so that we'd have money to buy collections. And so we did that. And it was, I'm trying to think if that was in, uh, I think it was in the fall. So we had decent weather. Everything worked for us. And so at the end of the weekend, after we'd been there, maybe Friday, Saturday, Sunday, so Sunday evening, Sunday afternoon, we're at the uh, Central Hotel, in the meeting room that we were, and we're sitting there with about a hundred thousand old cards, and I'm talking about from 19th century up through, say, the 50s. So it's 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 quite the stash. I mean, I've never seen anything like that. It was equivalent to it was better than any card show I'd been up to at that point. Just all sitting right there. And so we had 12 guys and 100,000 cards. What are we going to do? Well, uh, apparently, even in those days, I was identified as a guy who would who was not intimidated by stuff like this, that I, I'm the data guy. So the guy said, we're leaving for dinner. Uh, you're in charge of splitting the cards out into a fair, in a fair way. Uh, so I made 12 equal, but, uh, I'll say untouchable piles. I just stacked them up on the floor, big snake lines of, of cards, uh, double decked in a couple of cases. And, uh, they, they were in order well, I mean, if there was a set of something, I keep the set intact. I wasn't going 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. Uh, I was grouping them. And so every, each stack had some, uh, 20, uh, 19th century cards. Uh, each, each uh, stack had a bunch of Tito sixes and other tobacco cards. And each, each had Gowdies and all this kind of stuff. So, so they left, said, uh, break it up into 12 piles and then tell us how we're going to figure out who gets it that we don't have to be, uh, spending all night long trying to draw, uh, or, or pick from something. So, stacked them up, put 11 numbers in a hat and had the 12 lines of cards stacked on the floor. And basically uh, in the numbers in the hat, they'd pull out whoever uh, got number one, got to take a first pick of one of these 12 stacks. Now they couldn't, they couldn't sniff them. They could take a peek, but they couldn't touch the cards. So they couldn't, again, the cards were all stacked up. So again, I had tried to even them out to where each stack was roughly the same. So uh, so the first guy takes them, puts them in his big, I don't know that they've had monster boxes and those, but he had a, whatever, he put his cards away. The number two guy goes second, so he takes another stack. And uh, everybody, as they're looking through them after they get them, and they can touch them, everybody's pretty really ooh and ah and excited. And so even person number 11, you know, is picking one of the last two. Now, of course, me, I get the very last one. So in case I had salted one of the lines, which I didn't, but in case I had, um, I was, I got what was left over. And again, it was an equal, you know, to the, best of my ability equal equal uh, value of stuff. So everybody's really pleased. it was just a great haul. I mean, just I can't gush about how you're getting thousands of great cards. It was great value even then and now it just would be I mean, pretty spectacular. So everybody's boxing up their booty, and I noticed George over the side, sort of pouting. You know, he he was very emotionally expressive, and so you know, there. Uh, so I go over to George and I say, "What's up?" I didn't say "What's up" because "What's up" wasn't what people said in those days. But I said the equivalent of "What's up," and he said, "What am I going to do with all this bulk?" I said, George bulk. He said, "I I, I see ten thousand cards for me." But I'm really only interested in about 200 So what am I going to do with the other 98%? And so then he says, you know, Jim, I know it's stuff you like. Why don't you give me $2,000, which was my initial investment, for my unwanted 98%? And then I'll essentially have these 200 best cards, the ones I really want, for free. And that's just the way he thought. And I said, count me in. So I jumped on it. Now, before you feel sorry for George again, this is my story that relates how he totally knew his niche and was ruthless about staying in his lane. He wasn't a quantity guy, he was a quality guy. And so, lest you feel sorry for George, the 200 cards that he kept were all major Hall of Famers. <laughs> he took all the Cobbs, all the Ruths, all the Gehrigs, and these were these were and and he took all the all the old judges, all the Ramleys, the T205s, T206s, Cracker Jacks E-cards, um Again, he took all the Cobbs, Ruths, Gehrigs, and anybody else that you would have heard of that was a major Hall of Famer. He was so happy to walk out with a small box. That was George living life on his terms. He was a... He was a great friend, and I miss him, and uh, again, kind of a -a one-of-a-kind guy, and uh, again, like I said, I'm blessed to know him, and uh, not just benefited economically, but I benefited uh, just in my soul. So, Miss George, and uh, again, thanks, listeners, for allowing me to uh, share share this uh, uh, warm reminiscence.